pray, all right? Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to give. We know that you bless us so that we can turn around and be a blessing to others. And so, God, I pray you know what the needs are of your people. I pray that as they give today, that they would know and that they would trust and that they would believe that you are their source. And so whatever they need, you know what they need even before they ask, God. I pray that you would open the storehouses of heaven and pour out a blessing in just the area of need that they have. We thank you. It's an honor and it's a privilege to be able to give back to you out of what you have given us. It's our privilege. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Why you give? I want to talk to you about our special guest that we have today, Pastor Dan Matlock. He is a GT boy. He and his family were a part of GT Church for years and years and years and I met him and we became friends 20, over 26 years ago now. We've been super close friends and um, it was very evident from the time even when he was young, um, a young boy, that God's hand of, of grace and power was upon his life, that he would do great things for the Lord. And so so uh, about five years ago, he and his wife Kelly planted a church down in uh, Kyle, Texas. It's south of Austin, Texas called Icon Church and it's a, they're doing great things down there for the Lord. And so it's really like him for him coming back home. And so, as I said, he's one of my, he's one of my closest friends, but he's one of the best people that I know on this planet. He has such a heart for the Lord and such a heart of justice. He wants every single person on this planet to have the opportunity to know and to love Jesus. And so let's give Pastor Dan Matlock a great GT Church welcome. All right. Come on out here. And look, 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 look. Uh, do a good job, all right? D come out here. And I want you to be humble. Try okay. something new and be humble, okay? I'll, okay. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. I know, I know the bar's pretty low, so you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it the best I can, though. I'll do the best I can. Well, hey, uh, like Pastor Matt said, uh, my name is Dan, and I'm so thrilled to be with you guys today. Uh, for me, like Pastor Matt said, this is really, uh, feels like coming back home for me. I grew up in Mount Zion, and... GT Church, this was my home church. Uh, this is the church that my faith really began to grow in. Uh, so many of you made investments into me as I was growing up. Uh, people like Pastor Matt and Pastor BG, Pastor Brian, Cindy Patrick, different leaders investing into me. I remember my, I made an important decision to follow Jesus uh, here, a part of Royal Rangers. There was a, a children's leader by the name of Shaggy. Um, which thinking back is kind of a weird name. I don't know where you guys are finding your leaders if their names are Shaggy, but anyway, uh, Shaggy made a huge impression on my life and uh, uh, really shaped a lot of my life moving forward. It was here in Decatur at GT Church. So coming back here feels like coming back home. Uh, and I love that, that's, that's important for me. And in fact, every time I come back to Decatur, whether it's to visit family or to see Pastor Matt and. You can only do that in small doses. So, you know, once in every great while when I come back here, uh, there are certain things that just make me feel like home, right? And, and it's kind of weird. Some of these things are a little odd, but when you grow up with something, it just, it just becomes kind of a part of your memories of this place. And if you're not from Decatur, uh, this might be a little weird. But for me, one thing that always feels like home, this is super weird, but when I drive over the Staley's Viaduct, and I smell that smell. I kid you not, it smells like home, which is really messed up, right? Like I know I've got problems. You know when the wind blows just right and you're like, 
Oh, uh, that's ADM Biochem. You know, like that just, that just feels like home for me. I was talking to Pastor Jordan and we were talking about this and he's like, man, I've talked to people here and they're like, oh, doesn't it smell like French fries? And he's like, dude, what kind of French fries they eat here, man? I'm like, I know, I know, but for real, it smells like French fries. So like I, and there's things like that that just kind of remind me of home. They just kind of instantly bring me back to my childhood. Or this one for me in high school, going to the Hickory Point Mall and sitting on kind of the second level at that corner lot at this place. You guys remember Garcia's pizza in a pan? You guys remember the flying tomato? Like that to me is like, that just reminds me of home. And I, I know they don't have it anymore, but gosh, if I could have this, like it just, there's certain things that kind of, are nostalgic, just kind of instantly bring me back. And as I was thinking about and I was preparing for today, uh, I talked to Pastor Matt and he said, listen, I want you to share from your heart some things that you've learned in ministry, that you've learned in life, uh, that you've learned from starting a church from scratch, from planting a church, and share with us about that. And, and what I want to talk to you guys about today is really kind of the fundamentals of faith and following Jesus, really what the most important thing is. Because in planting a church and starting a church, this is something that I learned firsthand, is how to identify what the most important thing is. You see, when you're starting a church, you have limited resources. There's limited people. There was like 15 of us to start with in my living room couch. We had limited finances. Our budget was next to nothing. And we had limited amount of energy. So it forces you to decide what are the things that are most important. There's a ton of things that a church can do, but what are the things that we must do? And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. Uh, but to frame this idea, I want to frame it around uh, kind of uh, fundamentals in another sense. Now, here's the deal. As I look out into the audience, I even see some paraphernalia of this. I, I know I am in uh, the central Illinois, kind of the heart of Chicago Bears country. So I realize that. Any, any Chicago Bears fans out there? Yeah, a few of you guys are willing to admit that. I get it. I'm sorry. Um, now, this is weird. I don't know how this happened. I grew up in central Illinois, and I am a diehard Packers fan. Like, I, any, any other Packers fans in the house? Like, cool, like one of you. Awesome. This is going to be a rough service for me. Um, there's more in second service, I promise. And, and here's the deal. One thing that I love about the Packers is the history with that team, and specifically, one of the greatest coaches of all times, and, and really most people can admit, one of the greatest coaches of all times was the great Vince Lombardi. And, and what I love about Vince Lombardi as a coach, even as a high school coach, was his focus on the fundamentals. In fact, he had this speech that he was kind of famous for, where he would take a football at the beginning of the season, and he'd look at all the players, and he did this from high school all the way to the NFL as he coached, and he'd take a football at the very beginning of the season, and he would say, this is a football. And I wonder if in the NFL, the players were like, uh... Yeah, like, like clearly, like we've been doing this for a while. We know what a football is. And, and I, I wonder if he'd go, no, 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 you're not paying attention. This is a football. And it was his way of reminding them what mattered most, of bringing them back to the fundamentals. And to kind of illustrate this, I thought I want to illustrate this somehow. And there's this fundamental that I learned because I played high school football at Mount Zion. Anybody else play football growing up? Any other football players out there? Okay, so a couple of you. I want you to try to kind of finish this sentence because one of the fundamentals that was drilled into me uh, playing football growing up was this idea, and it works whether you're on the offensive line or defensive line, whether you're playing defense or offense, linebacker, or running back. And here's the thing. It's this saying that goes lowest pass, Anybody? Lowest pad wins. 
And it's this idea that who has the lower of center of gravity, whoever gets down lowest, they're always going to win in a collision. That you may be the smaller person, but if you're able to get a lower center of gravity and you have the lowest pad, you're gonna win. Now this was drilled into me because many times there'd be a moment where I'm like on my back because I just got ran over by somebody and the coach would say lowest pad and I'm like, wins. You know, so I, if I get a little tick when I say this, you know, just understand why. It's some, you know, past trauma living itself out. But here's the idea. I thought... I wanted to illustrate this, like visually show you what I mean by lowest pad wins and the truth of this. So here's what I need. I need a volunteer. So I need one volunteer. I need someone that, um, I don't know. Oh, Pastor Matt, thank you for volunteering. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Give Pastor Matt a round of applause for volunteering. This uh, is crazy. He's volunteered all three services. Yeah, all three. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Thank you. You're yeah. just so quick to, you just love to be on the stage. I yeah. get it. I understand. Now here, here's the deal. Here's how we're gonna illustrate this. Um, I think I probably, even though I'm a little bit bigger than Matt, I probably have three to five pounds on him. And, uh, <laughs> three, dude, three. <laughs> why you gotta laugh like that? Why you gotta be bogus like that, man? So anyway, I've got a couple of pounds on Pastor Matt. And, but even with that advantage, um, I'm gonna show you guys, I'm gonna illustrate lowest pad wins. So uh, Pastor Matt, stand over here, come over here. Now, as much as I would love to spear you off this stage right now, I'm not, I'm not going, you're brittle, I know. So that's right, he's got bad knees. So he's made it through two services, so it's a win so far. So here's what we're gonna do. On the first time, I want you to run across and you're gonna hit me. But on the first time, I'm gonna be the lowest pad. So I'm gonna drop my center of gravity and I want you guys to watch what happens. Now, here's the deal. You have to stay upright on the first one. So you stay upright, you come hit me, I'll get lower than you, which is gonna be a little tricky. Um, I'll try, no, no, I'm not, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So I'll drop my center of gravity and I want you to come, I want you to just really hit me, okay? Like kick you? No, no, not kick me. Like I want you to really hit me more than like the previous services, okay? So I want you really lay into me and I'm gonna drop my center of gravity. This is an illustration of lowest pad wins. Okay, go ahead. Okay, did somebody, is there a door open? I felt a little breeze. There was like something that, oh, that was you. Oh, okay, so this time I'll stay upright. Your illustration of lowest pad wins. Now this time I want you to drop your center of gravity and come hit me. So I'll stay upright and then you go, go ahead. Yep. See, see, give Matt, give Pastor Matt a round of applause. And then both knees are still mostly functional. But see, but see, that's the thing when it comes to lowest pad wins. It's just this fundamental truth. The person that comes in with the lower center of gravity is going to win that collision every single time. It's a fundamental. So I started thinking about this, and, and I, I want to reiterate this, and the reason coaches keep going back to this, the reason Coach Lombardi kept every season coming back saying this is a football, is because there's a simple truth that it's really hard to overstate fundamentals. Fundamentals should be something that you come back to over and over again. It's things that you should get so repetitive that you're like, I know, I know. In first services, Pastor Matt comes out here and he said, hello, beautiful church family. And the stagehand behind the, behind the stage repeated it as he was saying it, was saying what Matt said. Many of you guys, and why? Why is it that when Pastor Matt comes out here, you know he's going to say that? Because that's a fundamental. Because Pastor Matt wants you to know that we're family. That no matter what, there is this truth that exists that as a church, we are family. It's hard to overstate fundamentals. It's something that you're going to come back to over and over again. 
And this is something that's so important. And, and I've, I've been thinking about this. And when I thought about starting the church and when I thought about what it was like when we started from scratch, I thought about this idea of fundamentals. And I thought about how it's hard to overstate this. So I want to ask, what are the fundamentals for someone wanting to follow Jesus? For us, as we're starting a church and we're asking ourselves, what do we want to be known for in our community? What are the things that people, we want people to associate with us when they think about our church? And for those of you that are following Jesus, for those of you that are Christians in this room, what should be the fundamentals in your life? Because the reality is there's a lot of things for a Christian that are important, right? Wouldn't we all agree that prayer is important, right? What about time in the word, reading the Bible? That's, that's pretty important, right? Yeah. Well, what about like Christian friendship and having community, Christian community? That's pretty important, isn't it, right? But at the end of the day, what's most important? Like what is the thing that we should hang everything on? And for us as a church, as an early church, we had this uh, blessing in disguise. And the disguise was that we had very limited resources. And that forced us to focus. And there are times in life, and you've probably experienced this at different times. Maybe it's a financial constraint. Maybe it's a time constraint. But when you have limited resources, you're forced to decide what's most important in this moment. Of everything that I could do, what must I do? And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. You see, in the early church, the early followers of Jesus, these early God-fearing people, these Jewish people, they had a lot of things that were important to them. In fact, the, the Hebrew people, they had the, what they called the law. And the law for them was a list of 613 commands. There are 613 commands found in the Hebrew scriptures. And these were things that were important. So if you're a Jewish person, you'd say these 100, 613 commands, these are important. These are what I have to focus on. And there were certain times that they would go to rabbis or they'd go to religious leaders or teachers and they'd say, Master, what's the most important thing? And there was a time that Jesus was actually asked this question. And I want to look at something that Jesus said, but not when he was asked this question. You see, there was a time in Jesus' ministry that he actually added on to those 613 commands. There was moments when he was asked in his, during his ministry, he actually highlighted two of those 613. But after he died and he resurrected and he gathered his disciples together, he said, a new command I give you. And I wonder if for those disciples, those followers of Jesus, I wonder if their thought was like, oh, seriously? Now we're going to have 614 commands? Like, come on, isn't 613 enough? And, and Jesus would have replied something like, listen, no, 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 this is different. This isn't to be added on. This is to be above all the rest. This is the most important thing. And if you were to ask me, if Jesus were with us here today, and he came and he talked to us and he gave us his, this is a football speech. I believe that Jesus would point to this one idea and say, that's the football. What I like to look at is, is that moment when Jesus gives him this new command. You've heard maybe the golden rule before. I've heard one pastor call this, this is the platinum rule. This is even higher, even better, even bigger than the golden rule. And it's this, Jesus speaking. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. And I wonder, I wonder in a moment when the disciples were there listening, he says, a new command I give you. He's like, hey, pay attention, listen up. And they, they lean in and they, they start taking notes. They get out their iPhones or 
And I guess they didn't have iPhones to get out there like i tablets or, you know, papyrus, you know, whatever. And they're like, they're ready. And Jesus goes, love one another. So they're like, okay. Oh, wait, that's it. Like Jesus, we actually have that one. Like love one another. That's actually in the 613. And Jesus says, no, 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 this is a new one. Listen up. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I wonder in that moment, as they thought about the ways that they'd seen Jesus love people, I wonder if for Peter, he remembered back to a moment. You see a moment in Peter's life, this follower of Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, there was a moment that he rejected even knowing Jesus. He said, I don't even know the man denying his master and his teacher. And Jesus forgave him. Jesus cooked breakfast and sat down across the way from him and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, of course I love you. I've messed up, I'm sorry, but yes, I love you. And he said, and feed my sheep. He didn't give up on Peter. I wonder... But the women who followed Jesus, who didn't leave him when he was on the cross, as all the men split and the women stuck around, and as he was hanging on the cross, I wonder if the women listening to this remembered watching Jesus hang on the cross, looking at the ones killing him, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I wonder if they thought, whoa, 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 Jesus, love people like that? I wonder if they remember a moment that Jesus and his disciples are traveling and he stopped to talk at a woman at a well, something that wasn't allowed for a man in that culture in that day and age. And said, Jesus, wait, so break traditional norms like that? Love people like that? If they remember a time that a woman was caught in the act of adultery and brought before Jesus and they pointed to the law and they said, the law demands that she die by stoning. What are you gonna do now, Jesus? I wonder if they remember Jesus speaking some words in that moment, saying some things so that everyone left and all that was left was him and this woman. And he asks, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? She looked at him and said, Lord, they're gone. And Jesus replied, neither do I condemn you. And they think, Jesus, love people like that? Like you loved the outcast, the marginalized. You, you were friends with the, the worst of the worst. Like you showed love to even those that were demon possessed. You love people like that? I believe Jesus would stand before us and he would say, yes, because this is a football. This is the fundamentals. This is what matters most. And he'd say it's hard to overstate how important this is. Love others as I have loved you, period. Now, here's the deal. I know you might be thinking. You might be thinking, Dan, you're hanging a whole lot on like one verse, right? Like you're saying all this, that Jesus would say this, the most important thing. You're basing this off of one verse. And to that, that's a fair critique. I get it. I understand that's fair. So let's look at what the early church did. Jesus told them, this is the most important ethic for your life. Love others as I have loved you. So let's see what they did. Let's see what the early church did. Let's see what the early church taught. 
You can see this. Paul, writing a letter to the church in Colossae, said, Therefore, as God's chosen people, be holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourself with compassion. Paul's saying, listen, compassion is important. Clothe yourself in that. Clothe yourself in kindness. Is kindness important? Absolutely, we should be kind. In humility, gentleness, and patience, are these things important traits? Absolutely, we should clothe ourselves in these things. Paul goes on. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. For if any of you has a grievance against someone, is forgiveness important? Yeah, why? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is huge. But then he says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. He's saying, listen, yes, all these things are important. Yes, do all of these things. But above all of those things, put on love. Like you can't miss that. Or we could look elsewhere. We could look in other places. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 puts it simple. Do everything in love. How much? Everything. Right? Like I went to Bible school, right? Like I got a degree in everything and I learned some Greek and some Hebrew. And the Greek word here for everything in the original language when this was written, do you know what everything means in Greek? Everything. <laughs> That's it. It's that simple. Like it, Jesus, the early church, they're saying, this doesn't have to be complicated. Do everything in love. Peter, he said it this way, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, above everything else. Or we could look at 1 Corinthians 13. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, which, can we take a time out for a second? If you're here today and you have the gift of prophecy and you can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, I'd love to have five minutes of your time, <laughs> right? Like, that's a big deal. I have some serious questions about Area 51. Like, I got some alien questions. If you can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I just have a couple of questions. Right? Like, that's a big deal, right? Paul's saying, if I can fathom all mysteries, and then he goes on, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, like, imagine someone having that kind of faith. If you have that kind of faith, baby, I would love to talk to you about a mortgage we have in Texas, right? Like, we got a building I would love for you to move some mountains on, right? Like, if you have that kind of faith, and he says, but, but if I don't have love, then I'm nothing. Do you understand what he's saying? You can have the gift of prophecy, it's awesome. You can fathom all mystery, all knowledge. Wow, that's phenomenal. You can have all the faith in the world. But Paul says, if you don't have love, it's nothing. It's meaningless. Or, or we could keep going. We could look at other places. Uh, Jesus said this. He put it pretty simply. My command is this. Love each other as I've loved you. That's it. It's not Jesus' suggestion. It's his command. You are to love one another as he has loved you. Or we could look in Romans. It says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Or how about this? We could keep going. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Do you know why some people don't see God? It's because God's love doesn't reside in us. That's how they see God. When you love other people, you want the world to see God, then you act in love towards the world. Then they'll see God. 
That's how we move forward. Or how about this? A letter to the church in Thessalonica. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. In Romans, it says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. It's almost as if the author of Romans is like writing this letter and he's talking about debt and he's like, we need to talk about finances for a little bit. And he says, listen, don't let doubt, debt remain outstanding among you. And it's like he's looking for every opportunity he can to slip in this idea of love and he's like except for the debt of love that is like every chance he gets and then he says for whoever loves has fulfilled the law 613 commands the whole deal is fulfilled by love and we hold up signs at football games John 3 16 I wish we'd hold up this first John 4 8 says whoever does not love does not know God because God is love you want to know what God is like Look at love. Somebody ever asks you, what God, what's God like? Love. It's just that simple. Romans, Romans 13.10 says, love does not do harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We can look other places. 1 John 4.16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is it, people. This is the fundamental. Listen, you can miss other stuff, but you can't miss this. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, if you're a Christian, this is your core ethic. You love others as Jesus Christ loves us. That's it. We can disagree on other stuff, but we cannot, we must not disagree on this. This is what matters. If anything causes us to not show practical love to anyone, if you're a follower of Jesus and there is something that causes you to not show practical love to anyone, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You want to know how this Jesus thing works? Love. Love. That's, That's how this works. We have to understand that this is the football. This is what matters most. If you want to follow Jesus, then you follow love. Love is the beginning, the middle, and the end of following Jesus. This is the football. Love is the beginning, the middle, and the end of following Jesus. This is what matters most. This is the fundamentals. This is a football. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, or maybe you were, you've kind of walked away. Maybe you walked away unnecessarily. Maybe you walked away because you got burned because this wasn't your experience. When Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples, my followers, because of love, maybe you walked away because you didn't feel that love. I want to tell you, maybe you walked away unnecessarily because this is what matters most. And I believe if Jesus were here today, and he were telling us this. I could see some questions we might have, some questions that might come up, and we might say, Jesus, I mean, I mean, what if they're a jerk? Jesus, what if they're mean? Jesus, what if they don't believe like us? Jesus, I mean, what if they're an atheist? Jesus, what if they're a Democrat? What if they're a Republican? What if they don't vote like me? 
What if they have different values than I have? What if, I mean, Jesus, hold on, you don't understand this. They, they, they're totally different than me. Jesus loved people like that? Jesus, hold on, time out. What if they're Muslim? What if they're gay? What if they have different beliefs? What if they have different values? What if they're pro-choice or pro-life? I mean, Jesus, hold on. What about that? I think Jesus would look at us with all the love and the compassion that he could muster. And this is just what I think. Maybe this is just kind of how I view Jesus. But I think Jesus would sit there and look at me with my questions and say, Dan, I get it. I know. But lovingly said, did I stutter? <laughs> Let me tell you something, Dan. Love one yes. another. Yes. Love one another. It is not that complicated. But listen to me. This is hard. This is challenging. And it leads to some natural questions, right? You, we have these natural questions. You say, Dan, okay, I can get behind that philosophically. But I mean, in reality, I mean, what does this kind of love look like? Right? I mean, because let's be honest, I, I love pizza. Especially when it's Garcia's. Monocles, right? Um, and I, I love football. I also love my wife and kids. And I love God. And right now, I'm actually kind of, I love fantasy football. Um, right? Like, there's all these things that we love. But in a world where love is so ethereal, so like, I mean, what does that mean? What does that look like on a practical basis? What does that mean? And that's a legit question. That's a fair question that we need to wrestle with. And I'm going to be honest with you today. I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm not. In fact, how I'm going to answer is a way that many times Jesus would answer people. See, people would ask Jesus these questions, and many times he would respond with another question. So I want to respond to that question with another question. And my prayer is this question would haunt you. My prayer is this question would follow you into your workplace, would follow you to school, would follow you back home. And it's this. What does love require? What does love require? Jesus, how far? I mean, what does that kind of love look like? Well, what does love require? In that moment, in that instance, when you have that decision to make, what does love require right then? And I, I can't tell you what it's going to require of you. I can't. But I will tell you, following Jesus does require this question. You've got to ask yourself this. You've got to be honest. I can tell you in my life what it's required of me because it's cost me. Loving people like this, like Jesus did, it'll cost you. I'll be the first to tell you, it'll cost you. And for me, it's cost us a lot. When, when Jesus called us to start this church from scratch, love required that we give up. We gave up a great job at a great church with a great paycheck and great health care. It required we sacrifice that. Even when our youngest daughter had just been in the ICU, had been diagnosed with, with a very rare, very challenging, difficult medical condition that the best pediatric nephrologist in the nation told us this could be fatal. That your daughter will likely have to have a kidney transplant at some point in her life. And love was requiring that we move. Give up insurance. So sometimes what love requires, it requires a step of faith. There are moments 
as an early church that we had to wrestle with this question. Because when I got down there, I didn't know anyone. And what love required of me when I first got down there is love required that Dave become one of my best friends. Now, the thing about Dave, uh, Dave's quite a character. Dave was my upstairs neighbor in this tiny little apartment we moved from. We moved from this big house. We sold everything. We sacrificed all. We moved into this tiny, low-income apartment. And I met this neighbor, Dave. And Dave, uh, Dave owned a tattoo shop, was a tattoo artist. Uh, Dave was also a self-described Satanist. And love required that I befriend him. Because as I watched the life of Jesus, that's the kind of stuff he did. Like, Jesus has this annoying like, habit of consistently moving towards the margins. And following him means you follow him to some uncomfortable places. And you show love. So love required that I be Dave's friend. Love required early on when we had virtually no budget as a church before we even had regular services. We had saved up a little bit of money to start the church and we found out there was a little girl at the school that my kids uh, went to that was deaf. She'd gone deaf and it was simply because her ears had got infected so many times that her tubes got uh, impacted. A simple surgery, just putting tubes in and she'd be able to hear just fine. But the thing was, the little girl's parents weren't legal residents, so she didn't have health care. And in a moment that we could have argued about policy or we could have, you know, wondered about that, what love required in that moment is love doesn't require an argument. Love doesn't, in that moment, what love requires is love requires restoration. So we said, we'll pay for this little girl's surgery. We'll step into the gap. Because as I watch Jesus, what Jesus did is Jesus stepped in with healing and with restoration. So he said, Jesus will follow you there too. Time after time after time after time, love is required for us to go to some uncomfortable places, to do some uncomfortable things. And my prayer for you, my request, is that you simply follow Jesus wherever he takes you. And here's the challenging part. It'll lead you to some uncomfortable places. Jesus keeps moving to the margins. He keeps moving to the outcasts. He keeps moving to where love doesn't usually show up. Love requires that you follow him there. So my request, my prayer for you is that question would haunt you. My prayer is if you want to be a follower of Jesus, that you would realize that love is what it's about. Church, this is a football. Church, love is what it's all about. We are to love others as Jesus loved us. What's it about? That we love one another. Amen? That every day, that when you go out from this place, there's a world out there that needs your love. They've experienced a lot of different things in this world, from the church. May what they feel from us is the love of God. May we show people what God looks like. May we show people the character and the nature of God, showing them the love of Jesus. Amen? So I'd like to do this. To close out, I'd, I'd like to say a prayer.
but, but it's a prayer of benediction. We don't do this very often, but it's a prayer that I'd like to pray over you. And I ask that you just take a posture of receiving these words. As I pray these words over you as a church, may you receive these words and walk out from this, walking and living in this way. So would you bow your head and close your eyes as I pray this prayer over all of us. GT Church, may you be a church that focuses on the fundamentals. In a world that lifts up so many things as important, may you remember what's most important. Even church culture tells us where we should focus on this or that, that we should create lines of demarcation. May we focus on the fundamentals. If we are to be Christians, and Christians are followers of Jesus, may we follow him closely. May we follow Jesus to the margins. May we follow him to the extremes. May we follow Jesus like the disciples did, even to points that make us uncomfortable. Because that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus does. May we follow Jesus' new command. May we follow not just the golden rule, but the platinum rule. May we love others the way Jesus loved us. Jesus, you told us that's how the world would know us. So may that be true of us. And may we ask ourselves, what does love require? And God, may you give us the boldness, the courage, the faith, and the grace to walk out that answer. Holy Spirit, we hear you. Now may we walk it out. And as we choose to love one another. Amen.